Hey, this is Dirk Reviewer from Megadeth, and you're listening to GhostCultMag.com. Welcome back to the Ghost Cult Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, OJ. Today's episode, it finally happened. I got back doing interviews. And my first one back is with Dirk Verburen of Megadeth. Funny enough, back in the day when I started doing interviews, he was my first interview back when he was in soil work. We cover everything from the new record, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead, his organization, The Savage Lands, and all other projects he's involved in. It's a lengthy one. I hope you like it. Dirk Verburen of Megadeth. Dirk, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, Omar. Thanks for having me, man. It's a pleasure. Hey, man. Thanks for being available, man. I appreciate you taking the time out to chat with me. And us. So the new Megadeth record, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead. You've been in the band about eight years now. Not quite. Not quite. Six and a half. Six six and and a half half years? Yeah. It feels like, it just feels like it's been forever. Because I remember I saw like the third show you did at that uh, weird festival in somewhere in New York. Yes. yes, (laughs) Yeah. So like, I wanted to start at the beginning. Like, I believe it was Chris Adler who kind of... Put you on the Megadeth radar? It, it was a bunch of people, you know. It was actually, um, you know, when Dave was looking for somebody, like I, I've seen him do that too since then because sometimes we have a crew member leave or whatever. Um, he'll he'll ask everybody around him, like band, crew, management, you know, anybody he trusts that knows a little bit about the music industry, like, hey, make make a list, you know, give me some recommendations if there's anyone you, you know you think would fit this job description and would work well with us, you know, so... I had met Kiko before, so he had recommended me because, um, you know, he, he was a soil work fan. He actually came to see us play in Finland uh, some years prior. So him and I had been in touch. And then I was good friends with uh, Tony Loriano, who was the drum tech at the time, because we had toured together many years before and stayed in touch. So so there were a whole bunch of different people who, who you know, Dave talked to and, and a bunch of them had said Dirk. And and I think that's kind of where it started. You know, he, I know they looked at some videos together with management and I guess, um, you know, I guess he saw me do the the deconstruction with Devin Townsend in the studio. You know, there, there's a video I put up of that. And uh, I guess, yeah, after that, they, uh, you know, they reached out to me and and I spoke to Dave on the phone. And that was pretty much my audition was the five minutes on the phone. <laughs> oh, right on. So what was the first song you got to play with? the band the first song well i'm, I'm gonna guess probably hangar 18 because that's been the show opener you know traditionally and uh i believe when we uh when we went to rehearsal you know i think that was probably one of the first ones we played i don't remember exactly actually i, I do know that we just did the one rehearsal prior to the first show which was a few shows prior to you know the one you mentioned um uh, it was columbus rock on the range festival that was the the first one and and uh so the day prior to that we rehearsed and we jammed and it went really well. It was smooth. You know, I, I I had had some time to prepare and learn the set. So I came in feeling, you know, obviously some tension because it's a big gig, but but I was pretty confident. And and yeah, it was very easy. Uh, they were very welcoming to me and made me feel at ease, both the band and the crew. You know, Dave was super cool, too. And um, yeah, here we are, man. <laughs> yeah, that's great, man. Like, I also like the fact that, like, you're just like such a professional that, like you could have just said, "Bye, so I work. I'm gone." Like not even leave him hanging. Like you didn't leave him hanging. I appreciate the fact that, you know, your one of your students, Bastion, was able to step up and like fill in the gap. He's like, "Hey, I'm not. I'm going to leave you guys completely. Good luck. You didn't. Yeah, yeah. You didn't do that. That's really good." 
Yeah, I mean, we're friends. You know, the, the solar guys were super supportive through, throughout this process, and they encouraged me. And, and, and you know, when the offer came not too long after we hit the road to join the band, they said, of course, you should do it. You know, it's a gig of a lifetime. Go for it. And uh, but so, of course, I absolutely, like you mentioned, I did not want to leave them hanging. And the good thing is, is that I had a few people that I knew who were solo work fans and, and were capable and would be available. Bastion was one of them. And he ended up getting the gig and ended up working out with him. And and it's awesome to see now, for example, with the new solo work album, how much he's brought to the band. You know, he's really found his place in there. He's an amazing drummer and he's only getting better, you know, as he as he spends time with the guys. And yeah, I'm just happy because, you know, I want to see that band get more recognition. It was something I was already fighting for when I was in the band. And I think they're just so underrated. You know? Agreed. Agreed. It's like they put out some banger records before you even joined the band. And yes. your 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 involvement kind of like made more people take notice. Like I felt like, they, like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on over here? Like, what's what's he playing? You know, <laughs> and People just like love that stuff, man. Like drumming is is sometimes like you know good drumming and you know bad drumming. Like you hear like, all right, this is okay. And then there's some people that bring a little extra. And again, you're now that you're in Megadeth, like you come with them a line, like you have a nice long line of drummers before you. And yeah. you fit right in, you know. I was I would say I was nervous when I first when I was like, oh man, because yeah, because like this new record kind of for me, it feels sonically like there's a just some of the the energy of the feeling of some of the early like the gar records like it, it kind of has that kind of like little energy but it has like the more modern production of the obviously the modern production of the later day records and it's like yeah there's some of that mid-tempo stuff in there but it's not too mid-tempo it's mm-hmm. like you're just right at the edge of like like this is gonna like go crazy any second i really enjoy that about it because that was my i was like oh man it's gonna be all mid-tempo it's like is is dirk gonna be able to do dirk that was a big question like everybody we were talking about it was like is dirk gonna like i don't expect to hear like blast beats on on a megadeth record you know it's like but i expect it to be thrashy as hell with you in it yeah i, I definitely i wanted to bring that of course and and because that was my era kind of that i grew up with was cells you know uh rest in peace like those records were big for me growing up and and, and, you know, Dave has a nice way of describing it. He said with Gar, it felt like there was an element of danger, you know, it was always kind of teetering on the abyss, but not quite falling in, you know, because he was always had this crazy playing style. And he was always pushing stuff. So, and I love that. I mean, it's always that energy is something that always spoke to me in this kind of extreme metal, you know, whether it's people like Lombardo, Gar, you know, they have this element of just fire and just pure power behind the kit that you can't really explain other than when you hear it, you feel it. And, you know, I, I don't know how successful I was in bringing that, but it was definitely my goal to have that because to me, that's part of the DNA of Megadeth, you know, even though throughout the years, like you said, the production got a bit more modern and that's only normal as techniques get better. And, and, you know, bands have, um, have more time to spend on their records and they get better at what they do and work with better producers. So, that's a part of it, of course, too. But the music itself and the way it's interpreted, that's what makes people react to it, right? So for me, I really try to just bring that enthusiasm and the energy, just like I bring it live, I try to bring that same thing in the studio, you know? And, and to that effect, I tried to do full takes of the songs as much as possible. I didn't want to do like a piece by piece thing. We did a lot of piecing things together for the demos when we were writing the songs, of course that's more you know a common thing to do as you're working things out but then once we had kind of the song structures together i just wanted to 
you know, pretend like I was playing a show basically and just go for it, you know, and have that that vibe, you know what I mean? It's hard to put into words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a certain energy that really is hard for especially a drummer to replicate. Like, all right, I'm gonna take half of this version and half of this version. It could be it could be meshed well, but sometimes if you could just go through it, maybe a little eh, sometimes you gotta let those little tweaks, those little like uh little flubs or whatever that just seek through live in there because it together sounds better than the version that you kind of chop together just has a better feeling absolutely you're so spot on and i i couldn't agree more i think the whole perfection thing is also something that came over the years with people using you know uh more modern recording techniques with pro tools and all that which makes it really easy to make everything sound perfect but i think people need to remember that what makes for example a band like Led Zeppelin so good is how they play together. It wasn't about perfection. It was about the interaction between the four guys and were there some tempo modifications and stuff? Yeah. Were there, did it sometimes accelerate a bit and pull back a little bit? Yeah. But that's part of what makes the music live. So when you're too stuck to the grid and, you know, just being like, this song is 174 and it's not going to budge from there. You're kind of taking away potentially some of the life that the song has inherently that you would get if you play well together as a band. And that's kind of always in the back of my mind. You know, whenever there's room to bring some of that in, um, I want to bring that in. With Megadeth, we do play to a click. Uh, also live because we have uh, video screens. So there's a lot that's tied in with each oh, yeah. song that necessitates us to use a click. But at the same time, our clicks aren't static. A lot of our clicks move up and down, you know, and there's actually a, quite a bit of work that goes into that. Also, because some songs... In the studio, it's one tempo, and then when you play them live, you find out that a different tempo is better. So there's a lot of us trying out different things like that when we do sound checks and when we do pre-tour rehearsals to try and find the sweet spot, you know, and like, where is it good? And we'll try it live, and then maybe the next day we'll be like, ah, it needs to go up like 4 ppm, you know? And it's subtle things that maybe you wouldn't necessarily notice that much, but to us, it, that's what feels right. And it all like syncs up once it all, once you figure out that, you get all that synced up. You got to deal with the lights and the video. So even though if you're going a little bit faster, then something's got to be adjusted here on yes. both of those ends. Yes, those that, are... that's, that's also why we, you know, people will tell us like, why aren't you playing this song and that song sometimes? Because obviously we have over 200 songs to choose from. It's a vast catalog, but that's one of the reasons is that, you know, it, it's once we commit to putting a song in the set, there's a lot that goes with that. There needs to be a video. It needs to be... You know, the guy that makes those videos puts them together and needs to work on the possible adjustments that we're going to go through at soundcheck and stuff when we decide on the tempos. And, you know, maybe some songs have different little arrangements we do live compared to the studio version where some parts become longer or additional parts happen or things like that. So it's a lot, you know, so it's not super easy to just go like, hey, let's play this tonight. We don't really have the kind of configuration, unfortunately, that allows us to do that. But it's a small price to pay, I feel, when you, you get the kind of show that, that we bring, you know, because it's a nice, big, awesome show. Like, you know, you walk away from that and you've you've experienced something. That's our goal, you know, and, and, and of course, the videos, the lights, all that comes into it. And also just our own, you know, energy. Like every night for me, it's 100%. You know, I want every person that's there that bought a ticket to came in to come and see us to, to have the time of their life. Yeah. And it's like, I do appreciate that the set list have evolved since you've been there. Cause for, for a while, like I felt like when I saw you guys in the last bunch of years, it was like, I felt like, all right, it's been kind of like, 
I've heard these songs. It's like there's like 200 more songs that yeah, you yeah. just like switch it around. You know, it's like yeah. you know, like there's songs in there like I know I'll never hear again <laughs> just because maybe because it just dates personal beliefs on the songs anymore. Like my first song was "Go to Hell," and like I saw them right. play that like back in who back back in the day. <laughs> yeah. You know, so like the early. Like, yeah, Megan was like one of my first bands, like the Bill and Ted Bogus Journey soundtrack is where my first experience of them were. So I have that, those kind of songs, like that song and 99 Ways to Die, like those are the songs like that are more like part of my, like my metal like roots. We are playing Angry Again right now. We brought that to the set, which is also on the Hidden Treasure is also a soundtrack song. Uh, Last Action Hero. Yeah, exactly. Last yeah. Action Hero, yeah. yeah, like yeah. That so, was... so we do switch it up, man. Um, and, and it's true. You know, of course, people have their favorites and the ones that they connected with. A song like 99 Ways to Die, unfortunately, it's like Dave can't sing that high, you know, and he's, he'll be the first person to say it. Like after everything he went through with his neck, yeah. you know, recently his cancer, it's, it's his voice has changed. You know, I think he's found a really good place now. You can hear that on the new album. He's found kind of a, a, a new voice, you know, after going through all that. And I think he's actually singing way stronger now than than he was when I first started playing with the band six years ago. So it's it's not a bad place. There's just certain notes that, you know, certain heights of notes that he can't sing like that anymore, you know. And and we can put a few songs like that in the set, like older songs that where he can pull it off. But if we have too many of those, you know, it's just going to strain his voice to the point where it's going to be a problem for subsequent shows. And, and that's just the reality we kind of all have to accept too, you know. So some songs are kind of like, it's not going to happen. But then again, there's so, so many cool things. Like we're playing Dread and the Fugitive Mind right now, which yes. I've played for a really long time. That's a great song, fun. You know, Jimmy DeGrasso on drums, like killer yeah. stuff. Yeah, he put out, yeah. he was a banger. That His record was, was a banger. Man. Yeah, yeah. The world yeah, Needs yeah. a Hero with some great stuff. I would love to hear Hangar 18, the Return to the Hangar. I would love to hear that yeah, again. Because I've yeah. heard them together. I've heard they do deserve, that is that deserves a comeback. I feel like it just bookends that yeah. song and it just... It's a I, it's a great sequel. Not a lot of sequel songs are good, but that's yeah, that's a damn good one. I agree, man. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll put that on the table next time we talk about set lists. <laughs> so you mentioned about you guys did demos. Did you guys jam together? Or I mean, I'm guessing this was pretty much mostly written before in the before times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The before <laughs> times. I love how we have to call them that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, so in 2019 is is pretty much when we really started. You know, we uh, the first step was selecting riffs because Dave has a massive vault of riffs going all the way back to his early days. You know, everything is being cataloged and recorded and put into folders. So it's pretty impressive to hear some of the stuff like, oh wow, there's a riff from probably like '85. You know, that he hasn't used. So there's a lot of cool stuff because he'll just be somewhere and have an idea and record it on his phone or whatever. And then, you know, we'll put all that aside. Right. So so the first step was that. So me and Kiko went to his house a few times and just worked on some basic things like there'd be a bunch of riffs. And I just put some different drum ideas over each riff to have kind of an idea of what we could do. Then once we went through that phase. From about May to July 2019, the three of or the four of us, because David was still in the band at the time, we went together to a house next to Dave's house in Nashville, which he rented out. It was like a, you know, a house that that you could rent on Airbnb or something. And we stayed nice. there. And basically, for three months, all we did was work on the song. So jamming, you know, piecing things together, just whatever, you know, coming up with new ideas, taking some of the ideas we'd worked on previously, and structuring them. And so Dave would show up. You know, almost every single day. I mean, I think we took like Sundays off usually, but most of that, you know, six out of seven days of the week, he'd be there and we'd be doing that. It was very inspirational and and, and fun. And 
And uh, then throughout that is when his cancer treatment started because he had found out, you know, about the throat cancer. And man, like even that didn't stop him from showing up almost every single day. You know, he'd go to the hospital in the morning, get his chemo or his radiation. And a few hours later, he'd be there, you know, he'd do some work in the morning and then he'd show up and boom, there we go. Let's keep working. So some days he was pretty tired, but um, he was always there, you know, so dedicated to like the band and, and making this album as good as he could make it. And he got to a point where he needed some rest. So we decided to, okay, you know, instead of going from this straight to the studio, which was kind of the initial plan, and then we had some shows lined up, you know, it became apparent that like he needs some recovery time where he can just kind of focus on that. So we took a break, went on the road in early 2020 um, in Europe. And then just as we came home from that is when everything happened. You know, the pandemic hit, everything got shut down. You know, all plans were kind of in the, dead in the water at that point, unfortunately. You know, a difficult time for everybody. So, so yeah, that's how it happened. But so during that period of time, to go back to what you were saying, like that's when we pretty much established like the baseline for what became the record all the song structures roughly you know of course some something still changed after but yeah those three months were very important before you went into the studio was everything already like these are our songs we're going in there nothing extra or like hey let's just see if we can just freestyle one at the moment there's one that 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 we wrote pretty much as we were going into the studio so this would have been May 2020 at this point. So now we're in the pandemic and I actually drove from LA to Nashville because, you know, it was the beginning of everything. Oh, yeah. How safe flying was at that point. So I was like, oh, screw it. I'll rent the car and make it a road trip, you know? So, so I did that, like mask on everywhere, you know, hotels are like completely dead. Like there's no food anywhere. Like <laughs> it was weird, but, but you know, that's, that's what I decided to do. So I, I made, I made it a fun trip anyway. Um, and so one song kind of came together right there, you know, in the days leading up to the studio and, and and as I started recording, but we didn't end up finishing that song. There's a few songs we had that didn't end up getting completed because al along the way, you know, we didn't feel like they fit with the rest or whatever. So those are those are still on the hard disks. You know, we might revisit those ideas in the past, but the songs that are ended up on the album outside of the two covers, those were all pretty much, you know, demoed out to to a certain extent, some more than others. Um, in 2019, the the covers came along kind of on the spot. We had talked about it. Dave had said he'd like to do a few covers, but the decision of the songs pretty much happened in the studio. It was like, you know, I, I'd be rooting for a police truck because, you know, like Dave, I'm a big Dead Kennedys fan, so I'd been pushing for that one. Uh, the Sandy Hagar cover, uh, that was like spur of the moment. I think Dave used to play that song with his old band Panic, you know, uh, the pre-Metallica band that yeah. he had. And uh, and so that was just kind of like, hey, why don't we do that one? You know, and, and it kind of felt like of the time as well with everything that was going on. So, yeah, I just sat down and, you know, listened to it and wrote down the drum parts and recorded. <laughs> Those two songs do definitely have a totally different feel from the rest of the record. It still fits in the same. It still fits in there. But it's like, oh, we're ending it on a on like a brighter, lighter note. Yeah. I felt, you know, because they both just felt more fun the other songs you can say everything was more serious like i'm not smiling we're just going to be like we're yeah. serious here and these last two songs are like hey let's just kick back and like let's just let's just let's just don't let's just have fun and yeah, yeah and then yeah. you can hear it in those songs yeah i mean they're pretty much bonus tracks you know so i, yeah. I don't think we would consider them as being like integral part of the, the story of the record you know yeah even though i will say that there's some funny stuff in the album too like for example the hello moon man part in uh mission to mars you know uh 
you know, there's a few moments like that in the album where, where Dave's having fun too, or like the the drunk guy and junkie, you know, that's kind of mumbling. Who was actually our groundskeeper at the the house that we, we stayed that we became friends with, and we had him come in and record that part. So there was, you know, there was the, the typical tongue in cheek stuff that you'd expect from Dave. It's definitely there too if you look for it. Yeah, that, and the the end of Mission to Mars, that last minute and a half or so, I was like, that's really. It's like I wanted that riff to just go on a lot longer. <laughs> it's like I really love that riff. I was like, this is like this riff is just awesome. But that's why you'll listen to it again, you know. You yeah. make it just short enough that you're like, I want to hear that song again. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those songs, man. It's like, oh man, it's like, but you know, if you made it longer, it wouldn't it wouldn't have it wouldn't be as effective. And it just like right. you just want to, but you can't. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So everything started, recording process started in 2020. Yeah. And then obviously. What happened happened, and you had to re-record bass tracks. Did uh, Steve DeGiorgio bring anything extra to uh, the parts, or did he just kind of just here? Here's what here's what David wrote. Play what David wrote. For the most part, I would say that's what he did. You know, because that, at that point, the bass parts were pretty much laid out, and so uh, there's a few things that he changed and a few things that he added, like um, like for example, in Night Stalkers, in that bass part, you know, once the guitars come in after the bass break and he does those, mm, those slides that are very Steve DeGiorgio. Yeah. Sounding, you know, I think that's some stuff he, he added. I don't remember exactly because, um, you know, when David had recorded his parts after that, I, I only, you know, I only sporadically heard like the work in progress because I kind of decided to, you know, I didn't want to keep over listening to it. At that point we had already worked on the songs a lot and then recorded them. And so for me, like while the guys were doing their stuff, my my step was like I'll take a break from this so I can have kind of a fresh take on how it sounds once it starts really coming together. So throughout 2020, before all this happened, you know, I didn't listen that much to to the to the record. 2021, same thing. You know, the pandemic was still going, and we realized we're not really going to be able to put this out now because we can't fully do a full world tour to support it. We did tour in the summer of 2021, but it was under kind of strange conditions. You know, yeah, great yeah. tour, I, but yeah, I saw you there, yeah. So yeah, so so we decided. So I kind of stayed away from it. So I don't really remember exactly like everything how David played it, but I do know that Steve kind of went in with the intention of bringing that typical sound to the band because David's you know sound was very integral to to Megadeth sounds too. He played on most of the records, was there from the beginning. So it's kind of like the same thing I did on drums, you know, where I did want there to be a clear element of like how Menza played and how Gar played and kind of those iconic guys that built helped build Megadeth to where it is today. You know, I wanted people to have that feeling when they listen to the songs. And Steve did the same thing as far as I know. So he didn't stray super far. He didn't go like all fretless bass, like how you would do maybe in, in Death or Testament or or some of his other bands. Yeah. 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 It depends on what tour it is. You'll see him with a different type of bass. Like I saw him on a, a Testament tour years ago and he had like a three string bass. And I was like a fretless three string. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm looking at right now. <laughs> You know, I was like, if somebody had to, if you had to call somebody in, I thought he did a, he did a great job. Yeah, man. He's, he's incredible, man. Incredible musician. And it's really cool to have him on the album. It's really nice to see James back in the band. Cause like, like I was a big fan of Sleepwalker, his bass tracks on that mm -hmm. song are just killer. You know, it's like, yes, yes, like, absolutely. You know, that's another no, song I would come back. <laughs> yeah. It, it's cool, man. He, uh, he, you know, he just fit right back in, you know, when, when, uh, Dave decided to call him because obviously Steve is busy with Testament and stuff. And when Dave decided to call to help us out on the, the tour we did in 2021, which was the, the metal tour of the year, 
Um, James showed up and, and actually him and I were a little bit early at the first rehearsal. And so we decided, hey, you know, while we wait for the guys, why don't we run through some of the songs, you know, we're here anyway. And man, it, it clicked right away. Like we, we played some of the stuff and we were just like, he was gluing to my kick drums, like, like we'd always played together. He's such a professional and such a nice guy. And he just really brings a lot of positive energy to the band and also great stage energy. I'll say that, like when you watch James on stage, you know, he's having a blast and he's going for it. And that's so cool because... You know, that's that's the only way I envision playing shows is like, if you're going to go up on stage, like give it your all, you know, whether you're tired or maybe feeling a little sick or not or whatever, like it doesn't matter. Like for that hour, hour and a half, just give it everything you got. Like I said, make sure people have the time of their life. If not, what's the point? You know, right? Like if you're going to do it, do it, you know. <laughs> I hear you, man. Like when one of my old bands, we would take the stage. We're like, yeah, we're playing with friends of ours. It is like, oh man, they played great. And like, we would always be like, yeah, we don't have friends on stage. When we hit the stage, we don't have any friends. We're there just to like, oh, we love you guys, but right now we're here to destroy you guys. Exactly. And it's like, yeah, and it's like we if you were in our band, if you just played guitar, we had one guitar player that just kind of didn't move. And it's like, you gotta move, bro. You gotta you gotta know your parts a little bit better and get more comfortable and like because if you stand in there, no one's gonna just I'm gonna look at this side of the stage. Yeah, you know, yeah. you want everybody you, you want to be able to look at everybody in the band and be like, damn, these guys are are giving it their all. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more. We spent we spent quite a lot of time on that. You know, it's something that Dave also holds very close to his heart. We want the shows to be spectacular and we want the energy to be there nonstop. So if you come to a Megadeth show, there's not many pauses. Like every now and then, you know, some nights he'll speak a bit more than others, but in general, we just go from song to song and we just hammer them home. And so it's it's it takes a lot of stamina and a lot of energy. And and you know, we really have to kind of figure out what we're doing at which times and you develop that over time. So it's a constant evolution as well. But I will say that, you know, it's really inspiring to see how much energy and, and passion Dave still has for that after all the years that he's been doing this band. You know, you wouldn't blame a guy for being a little bit like, all right, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years or so. Like, I'm, you know, it, it's about time that I slow down. There's no slowing down in Dave, man. Like, I mean, I guess if you listen to the new album, you can hear that too, because there's some of the heaviest and fastest songs Nick that's ever done. And, you know, that's that's incredible. Like, I can't believe it, you know, very inspiring. Yeah, like, uh, I just think about when you just said earlier about he's got like the bag of riffs. And I remember like listening to interviews and talking about like, yeah, he's got these riffs. He's like, I don't touch my guitar unless I'm recording. And like, yeah. I've always remembered that, like how many years ago it was like, if we're going to rehearsal, it's like, dude, somebody's got to be recording something because we're going to lose something. And sure right. enough, you lose something. Like, what do we do? It's like, I have no idea. That was really good. The air, it was there for a minute and we didn't capture it. Even on a little crappy, you know, recorder, it was like, we don't have it. It's gone. Like it went through us and we didn't, we didn't grab it at the time. Right. And right. for him yeah, to have all these riffs, frustrating. <laughs> yeah. for him to have all those riffs, it just reminds me a little bit of Prince. Cause they said like, oh yeah, Prince has like a vault of all these he had a vault of all these riffs and albums and music done. It's like, I'm figuring like day is probably like the metal version of, of Prince with the amount of riffs he's got stockpiled that yeah. he could just like sell you a riff. He's like, yeah, I'll sell you this. I'm not using this for an effort. Here's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. I guess it's kind of like that. I mean, you know, that's the thing, like music can come to you in, in moments when you don't expect it. It's cool when it's a rehearsal and you're already like there and you can record, you know, nowadays, especially it's easy, but Sometimes they'll have an, a riff idea in the middle of the night, 
you know, you'll wake up and, and, and you'll just hear a thing. And then, then that's the time when you kind of like grab your phone and just hum it like, you know, whatever I've done yep. that. You know? Cause sometimes that turns out to be like a killer riff, you know, sometimes not. Sometimes you listen back the next day, you're like, what the hell was I thinking? You know, but, <laughs> but it's, it's funny because yeah, he's learned to really just be methodical with that and, and let no idea go to waste. So, so it's cool because it's a great starting point to have all those different ideas that he has and just use those as like, okay, this is, let's, let's see if this can take us somewhere. Like I said, sometimes we just more or less Lego things together. Other times we just jam, like, you know, I remember Celebutant was one of those songs that was more jam based. You know, we had some riffs that went well together that Chris Drakestraw, the co-producer had kind of selected together with Dave out of his vault. And, and Chris thought, you know, I think these three will go really well together. And then we just kind of started jamming on those. And then from there, the rest of the song was born, you know? just from kind of feeling the feeling of those riffs and seeing what else that would inspire us. So a very organic process. And I think, you know, in my opinion, you can hear that in the song. It's a very old school kind of, you know, classic heavy metal track with, you know, maybe some touches of Motorhead and obviously, you know, Dave's personality woven into it. Pretty cool. Yeah. The Megadeth is a band that's really like, you can't really cover Megadeth a lot of times and give it the justice without having the attitude behind it. Some people yeah. do a lot of songs that are very, you know, like, oh yeah, peace sells, you, whatever. Like you can do certain songs nice and straightforward, but there's a lot of songs that, from Megadeth. It's like, there's an attitude behind everything. And if you don't have that, at least not a, if not a physical snarl, we gotta have that little mental lip snarl when you're playing it, you're, you're missing it. <laughs> Yeah, man, I make so many, you know, people always say like, oh, you smile so much on stage and stuff like that. I guess I do. But there's also a lot of times like when we play a song like Peace Cells, for example, I'm like, you know, making like your metal face like, yeah, you know, crunching <laughs> my teeth and just like, because I'm so into it, you know, and I'm just with the lyrics and just the whole vibe of the song. I'm just feeling it. I'm just like, you know, like Dave's kind of attitude, like you said, it kind of flows through me. And so I'm, that's how I want to hit the drums, you know. <laughs> I know you said you play guitar. Did any of your riffs make it into this? Yes. Um, so I have Night Stalkers has a riff that I wrote, uh, which is the riff uh, that comes after the Ice T section. Okay. And yeah, that that's that's one that uh, you know every I, I just kind of randomly came up with that one day on Dave's playing V. I was just messing around, and everybody liked that riff, so it ended up there. And then uh, besides that one, the song Life in Hell is is I wrote a demo that I brought to Dave. And, um, you know, it was one of a few, I had made a few and he liked that one. And so at some point in the three months in 2019, he picked that song and started kind of jamming on it and started, you know, making the guitarist cooler. Cause of course he's a way, way cooler guitar player than I am and way better, but, you know, so he started kind of putting the Dave Mustaine touch on it. And, and, the, you know, I would say like kind of the rough blueprint of the structure was there and like the drum fill that's in the beginning and the end of the song that was all there, but then. He really improved it, you know. So we worked together a little bit on it like that and ended up being Life in Hell, which, which is a cool song. It has like that old school kind of, you know, chugging like feeling from the, the thrash metal from the early days and and the, like the tempo break in the middle that I really like, which is an idea I had. Like I want to bring something like that where it just abruptly changes tempo and then goes back to the beginning tempo. So, you know, that that's really cool to see that kind of take shape and, and end up on the record. I'm, I'm really proud of that one. <laughs> I think that was those are some great songs man and it's like and then i was like a real like yeah like even like with more like my stalkers it's it's cool it's like oh it felt like in a way it's like oh wait a minute like like dave was on like the body count record like two records ago and now it's like it's like 
I'm returning the favor. You know, I just yeah. and it felt like it's really cool. I was like the choice of guests guests people on here. I guess Ice T is the only one officially. But right. again, the version I had had the had the Sammy Hagar and the Ted Kennedy's cover. So it's like right. like that was a it's a very for my it's a very uh it's a very interesting mix of people and I think they fit they all fit great. They were great choices to have as good additions. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah, yeah, I mean for me personally, I see it's amazing because I grew up listening to to his music. You know, I, I listened to a lot of rap and hip hop in the mid eighties. You know, all those bands back then inspired me a lot. Run DMC, Public Enemy, Beastie Boys, Ice-T, you know, LL Cool J, and, and so on. You know, that was big in my discography. So for me, there's certainly no shock. You know, I, I, I still listen to hip hop on the regular. So it's part of my DNA. But I know for some metal fans, like they're like radically against anything that touches on that culture. And I think it's really cool that Dave just doesn't give a damn about that. You know, he's like... Dude, Ice T is a legend. Like he's like the longest running actor on a US TV series. You know, the guy has really made a name for himself and made a career for himself that's like beyond anything you could believe for someone who grew up the way he did and in, in you know in a bad place, etc. Like, look at the guy, you know. And plus he's super cool. Like we got to meet him a few years ago. He came to one of our shows and he's a super smart, super cool dude. It's very obvious when you meet him. And so, you know, I, I think it's it's great, man. I'm, I, every time I hear that part and I hear his voice, like, I get excited, you know? <laughs> and, and he's a vet, too, yes. on top of that. People I forget know. that Ice-T was, like, in the military at one point. Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, exactly. He fought to defend our country. And, and you know, I mean, you, you, you cannot respect the guy. I'm not saying you have to be a fan of the style of music that he does because, you know, everybody likes what they like and doesn't like what they don't like. That's fine, but... As far as like his legitimacy, like I think it's indisputable. You know? Yeah. So I want to talk about your drum kit a little bit. When did you decide to start doing this drumhead art? <laughs> um, I think in the last two years that I was in slow work, I had kind of started doing that, you know, and because uh, I was just, I guess, bored on tour, and I was like, oh, let me try and draw a logo on this and see, and then you know that became a thing. So now with Megadeth, I try and crank out a few every day if I can. Some days it's harder than others, but I look at it as a twofold thing. It's a good thing for me to kind of fulfill one of my other creative passions I've always drawn since I was a kid. And I'm not like a great graphic artist or anything like that, like the real good people you see. But I just, you know, I like band logos. I like, you know, the metal graphics and things. So it's a fun way to do it. I usually use the T-shirts and stuff. I put them underneath the head and then draw over them. So I do a lot of tracing and then then I kind of flesh it out in my own vibe, you know. But the other cool thing about it too is that now all those heads that would otherwise end up in the in the in the garbage are now being used for something cool. They'll end up a piece of art on on a Megadeth fan's wall, which I think is great because you know there we go through quite a lot of drum heads in a tour. Unfortunately, you know, as great as they are, like you know, with the beating they get, they can only do so many shows before they need to be replaced. And so for me, I see that as a, a huge benefit, you know, instead of going to the landfill and contributing to the immense problem of pollution we we're facing with in this planet and the plastic that's in the oceans and all that stuff, all that horrible stuff. Now, at least, you know, they're going to go somewhere and people are going to cherish them and they kind of have a second life. So I really like that about it. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of ties into your, your Savage Lands organization. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I saw like you and your old bandmate from before Scarve. Yeah. You guys decided to come together with this this uh, initiative. Like, and now that you have the bigger name behind you, I guess it helps that it's like, oh, Megadeth. It's like, oh, Megadeth is caring about the world. Yeah, you know, yeah. 
it's yeah, kind of a cool thing to have to have out there. It's super cool, man. I'm, I'm extremely proud of it. Dave had done his, his his thing where he was part of establishing soup kitchens in Haiti, and so obviously there's the album Countdown to Extinction, where he showed how much he cares about the planet and nature. And um, so for me, you know, having this opportunity with Sylvain, to you know, who, who, who indeed was a bandmate of mine many years ago and always being an ecologist and an activist as well to do something with him and to kind of give his organization a face and some weight in the metal community is really really something i i, I put a lot of pride in and a lot of effort into because you know I, I the way i look at it like you know a lot of people are kind of like have this hopeless feeling about the world you know or it's like there's nothing i can do as an individual like look what i'm up against you know like these corporations and the politicians and like those guys the banks they decide everything what am i going to do and I, i'm familiar with that feeling because i've felt it many times the truth is if we don't all start doing something you know nothing's going to change like in the end as as with a lot of things it has to come from the people and and small things can make a difference i'll give you an example like it's it's, it's going to sound very silly maybe but you know when we're on tour I drink about two, three, four coffees a day. So I, you know, a few years ago, I bought this mug and I just carry it around with me, you know, and I've had this habit now of like when I leave the tour bus to go to our dressing room and we have the catering area and stuff, I always bring my mug with me. So, and you know how many like coffee cups I save like on a tour, probably like hundreds, you know, and of yeah. course in the scheme of things, what is that? Nothing at all. But, you know, and it's just kind of irrelevant, maybe in a way, but to me, it's more of a symbolic thing of like, look, if you put in a little bit of thought and effort, you know, you can try and bring some positive and, and that's the same with Savage Lands, we're trying to preserve some, to sum it up briefly, you know, we're trying to preserve and sanctuary some land that's under threat from basically real estate development. Uh, Costa Rica is a very small country, Sylvain has lived there now for I believe 17 years. And the reason why he decided to tackle that is because there's already a groundswell of the local population to kind of be against all the stuff that's happening. And also because it's it's something that's actually doable. It's not, we're not up against, let's say, Brazil and, and Bolsonaro who's like decimating the Amazon. You can't really stop that, you know, not to discredit what Gojira are doing there with Amazonia because it's wonderful, but it's very hard to go up against those powers. Costa Rica, it's a lot more of a local thing where let's say some wealthy guys will come in and they want to build a house. And so they buy a parcel of land and they cut down all the trees. Truth is you can buy a parcel of land, you can put your house, you can have your yard, and then you can keep the rest of your land wild so that, you know, it, it, it's kept up like our organization and the local people will go in there and help you do all that and how to do that right and how to keep it nice so that the monkeys and other species that live there still have enough land so they can survive because if you just cut it all down then those species will disappear and and at the end of the day costa rica loses right because one of the reasons people want to go there is because of all those things so that's that's to sum it up you know like we want to either help those people to do it in the best possible way and also for some of the lands just sanctuize them so that they can be built on and that's what savage lands does we're we're getting a lot of people from the music scene involved and the best way, if you do want to support that, is go to the website, savagelands.org. There's a lottery that we're doing where you can win some really cool one-of-a-kind guitars made with fallen wood from trees from Costa Rica, played and signed by some super cool guys like Andreas, Andreas. Or Kiko, you know, uh, guys from Gojira, et cetera, et cetera. And there's also going to be a donation that you can make as well. We're still working on getting that set up, but that'll be up very soon. 
And we're going to do all kinds of actions. You know, there's a lot that's going to be tied into it. You'll hear more about Savage Lands in uh, in the coming years for sure. And thank you for bringing it up. I appreciate it, Omar. No problem, man. It's like it's like it's very rare. You see bands that are you know not up their own asses for a better word. It's like oh, we're just a band. We don't have anything but being a band. But then again, like I'm I grew up in the '90s, so it's like you know you had more everybody's political ish or has some kind of, you know, cause like, you know, I remember, you know, Rage Against Machine brought the whole Tibetan freedom concerts around back in my youth. And like, when I saw like the one, the first time I saw Megadeth was they were doing a canned food drive for the homeless. So if you like brought like a certain amount of cans, like 20 pounds or whatever, you bought a bunch of cans, you get to, you get like an after, after show meet and greet. So it's like people who, who care, you know, have always been around in a lot of bands. A lot of, not everybody's all dark and brooding all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. people that actually have, you know, like, oh, there's a little bit more substance to, to you and your band because you care about something besides yourself. Yourself, It's more selfless, I guess, is the right word to say it. Yeah, you know, that's that's great that you bring that up. For me, that's so important personally because there's always been kind of a part of me that felt like, as much as what I do has substance in the sense that when we play shows and we release records and they make people happy and they allow people to escape a little bit or make their life a little bit better through those things, that's cool. I also felt like, man, I, I really feel privileged, you know, to be this guy that like my whole life I've been able to work at and make my passion my job, get to travel the world, you know, play these cool gigs, you know, now, especially with Megadeth, it's like big gigs and we have nice conditions majority of the time. And wow, like I'm so lucky, you know? And so I want to give back and I want to use that, you know, whatever this is, this fame or whatever you want to call it to, to highlight some other things and to bring some attention and, and help people make the world better. Because in the end, we only have one, you know, we only have this planet. There's not really any, concrete hope of going anywhere else and making that work. There's just way too many obstacles in the way for us to go into space, you know? So this whole, you know, this whole dream of like, yeah, we'll just find another habitable planet and travel there for like 10,000 years and somehow make that work. It's like, yeah, no, I don't see that happening anytime soon, you know? And, 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 and the threat that our planet is facing is real. So anything we can do, you know, it's simple. Like with, with Savage Lands, what we say, like people don't realize this, but 10 bucks, you can plant a tree, 10 bucks. That's it. Then, of course, the tree needs to be the first year when it's growing and stuff. It needs to be watered and it needs to be taken care of. But that's all like we handle that stuff. So it's really 10 bucks. You know, that's what it takes. And uh, so even people who don't have much money are like, I can't make much of a donation. I can make $10 donation. Well, that's a tree, you know, that's going to become part of a forest. That's going to become part of like, wow, this is this is this land is necessary. We need that for you know, to keep our atmosphere clean. We need that to keep our biodiversity active. Everything is interlinked as we know more and more through science. So, you know, it's it's just small things can make a big difference. And that's one of the things that I really want to bring out, a message I want to bring out to people. If you feel hopeless and like there's nothing you can contribute, just do a little thing and it'll make a difference. And maybe you'll learn something and maybe you'll get interested in some of these issues and maybe you'll come up with your own project or maybe it'll be like hey look in my neighborhood i could do this you know who knows it's 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 just more about a, a frame of mind where you know you can't sit around and just be depressed to, about the state of the world and wait for it to change because you know you can be part of the solution you know to say it in a cliche but very true way and maybe a small change but small it's better than none absolutely 
Now you've changed yourself around a bit. I mean, how long have you been uh, vegetarian or vegan? Like you've changed your health like immensely. And then now you like, I also see like your health, you know, you're a plant-based diet nowadays and now, and also see like, you're just uh, getting into martial arts. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So we have, yeah, we have a a trainer with us, you know, Dave's trainer, uh, Reggie Almeida, who's a, a kind of a legend in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu scene, you know, he comes with us. So I've, I've taken a few lessons with him. It's not a continuous thing I do because, you know, I, I have to be careful not to get damaged. And these guys are strong and big. <laughs> I can I can easily end, end up being like, oh, it's going to be tough for me to play drums on this tour, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I, I stay fit. You know, it, it's all part of like, if you want to do this right, you got to take care of yourself. You know, you got to take care of your body, of your mind. Uh, what I eat comes becomes part of that. For me, it's definitely an, um, an ideological thing to not, you know, eat animal products as much as I possibly can. I, I call myself like, if I could, you know, name it away, I call myself a practical vegan. I'm not like hardcore in the sense that I'm going to have a temper tantrum if one day, you know, we're in some country and it's kind of difficult to get something, you know, that's fully vegan. I won't eat meat though, like meat or fish, like that's, I, I never eat that. But sometimes, you know, dairy, it's still really hard to do without it. But for the most part, like whenever I can, I don't eat that stuff. And, uh, you know, I think it's it's understandable that a lot of people don't want to go down that path and and they don't have to. The truth is like, if everybody was vegetarian or vegan one day a week, it would make a huge difference for the world, you know? And, and so it's not a black or white thing, you know, if you're somewhat interested in this or you've you've had times where you maybe tasted a plant-based burger and you're like, oh, this actually isn't bad, you know, this actually works. Well, maybe you should consider doing that occasionally, you know, and and because the, because the animal agriculture on top of being horrible towards the animals and depriving them of any of their natural instincts and life and basically treating them like objects, you know, which I'm fully against and I hate all that stuff. The other problem is that's also extremely polluting and a big contributor to our carbon emissions and just not a very smart way of moving forward as the planet becomes more and more populated. You know, it's not really sustainable in the long run. So if countries like China and India are going to start, you know, producing the way we do, which they are, you know, it's it's really going to become a problem because there's just not enough space on the planet to put all those pigs and cows. And, you know, even if you cram them into these tiny cages, which they do, or they can't even turn around or anything. You know, so anyway, it's, it's, yeah. it's uh, you can talk about that for hours, but you know, my, my, my thing is kind of like, it's totally easy for me to be, to eat this way. It's not a problem at all, especially where I live in Los Angeles. It's super easy. I know there's places on, on earth where it would be difficult to make it work, but again, do what you can do, do what you feel, you know, you don't have to do what I do, but think about, you know, what, what it is that you care about and what it is that you can do to maybe make your life better and make the life of others around you a little bit better. You know, the way I look at it, like my vision is that, you know, we all inhabit this planet and, you know, if you love a dog, if you have a dog or a cat and you love them, you know, you have to realize at some point that like a pig and a cow are no different just because they've been categorized since we were young as like, oh, those are food. You know, those we don't care about, you know, like they just go in, uh, they just live in pens and then they go to slaughter. It's like, you do realize that if you hung out with a pig, you know, you'd realize that they're like a dog, basically. They just look different and they have different habits, of course, than a dog, but they're no less a sentient being who wants to run around and play and have babies and have fun and enjoy their life, you know, and just be and and be happy, you know, And, and we take that away from them massively, like billions every year. So 
So why, you know, sure, for a time, it made sense that people had to eat meat because there was nothing else and that had to be done. But nowadays, we know we know better and we have other options. So there is ways to at least reduce it, you know, in, in your life and to be a bit more maybe caring about the other species. You know, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, that's cool, man. Like, I get that. It's like, I've I've heard that, like, yeah, just like just one day a week, just don't eat meat. You know, it's like, yeah. that's not hard. You know, I've had that's partners. Doable. Yeah, I've had, for most people. You know? Yeah, I've had partners that like they have like gluten allergies, so I've, I've eaten a lot of different styles of food. And it's like, no matter who I'm hanging out with, I can eat. I'm like, whatever's. What do we got? Cool. I'll find something here I'll like. You know, certain things I enjoy more than regular versions. And it's like, all right. Unfortunately, sometimes the healthier foods are more money. So it's yeah. like certain things I'll pony up a little extra for for certain things, just because you know yeah. I just like it. You know. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I'll pay the. I'll pay that's the cool. tax. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. I mean, everybody will find their own path. And I'll be the last person to tell someone else what they should eat and shouldn't eat, you know. But again, I just, you know, since you asked about it, that's kind of my my personal philosophy. That's what I've come to. And I remember I used to be a guy who for 30 years, I ate meat like every meal, you know, because I grew up in I Europe. Think, and it's yeah. <laughs> it's staple, you know, it's like you eat meat, like even at breakfast, you know, like that's what happens. Yes. Not a meal if there's no meat, you know. Yeah, I was I was in Oslo once uh, for, for uh, tons of rock and the hotel breakfast buffet was a lot of like, oh, we're having meat now. It's like, this yeah. is. Yeah. I was like, this is a different type of breakfast here. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So, so, you know, it's just like, we'll wrap this up with a, I guess a little quick track by track breakdown of the record. If you got the time for it. Yeah. Let's do it, man. So first up is the title track, the sick, the dying and the dead. <laughs> yeah. So um, Dave had this concept about the black plague. It was actually one of the early lyrical concepts that he had you know that he talked to us about when we were working on the initial album ideas and and the song he wrote the song basically it's um you know he had a few different riffs there that went well together and we kind of fleshed that one out as a band um, but he had a very clear vision of where he wanted that song to go and that was one of the earlier ones that we kind of had a semi-complete version of you know um I think it's a great opening track. It's got all the trademark Megadeth sounds you know it's got a nice uh, heavy part at the end it's a very fun song. Right on. Uh, next up, we have Life in Hell. Yeah, so we talked a little bit about yeah. that one. Uh, pretty much, you know, to sum it up, it's like how I would hear old school Megadeth, you know. Thrash, uh, thrash at the beginning of Thrash when it wasn't quite a scene yet, but it was like this new and exciting music. That's the feeling I was trying to, to go for when I uh, made the demo for that. You could stick this song and toss it back in the time machine and it would fit right in in 1986. Uh, that, that, that would that would be cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I forget which one this side note, I forget which one it is, but I did like the fact that I forgot which song it is right this second, but I got to hear like, oh, you did a, a modified Dirk Blast in yeah. one of his songs. And I was like, ah, oh, he got it in there. <laughs> I was like, it's not 90, it's not 300 beats a minute, but we got it in there. You know, they just, and it sounds a lot cool, that little weird paradiddle yeah. thing you do. And it's like, man, it's like, yeah. I know you it's know, simple. Actually, I think I know what you're talking about. And that's actually a feel that Gar Samuelson used to do. He did that on um, on a few of the songs, you know, like there's there's one in uh, in The Conjuring. He uses it, you know, in um, I think oh, yeah. it's in uh, uh, Mechanics. So it, it sounds kind of like a Dirk Blast, but it's not. It's more like a fill between the kick and snare and then the crashes. 
and uh and so yeah that was a cool it just fit with that riff so well you know so i was like oh that's a good way to honor garth's you know work on the on megadeth and his yeah. legacy yeah give you a damn good job honoring everybody's legacy guard <laughs> chuck nick everybody you know jimmy even uh was it a uh, vinnie Caliuta did that one yeah. record too mm-hmm. yeah, so now yeah, yeah. if pressure was your thing you'd be you'd be like a little cr- crying in the corner with all that like oh i gotta live up to all these guys i gotta i gotta honor these guys legacies and then put your own on top of it right, it's right you know, it's it like, crossed no my mind. I won't lie, you know, but uh, but at the end of the day, you can only be you, you know. So I just gave it my best shot, man. Yeah. My thing is, people. There's certain people in the world that say why. It's like you just got to say why not. You know, it's like right. you know, you could not have done this, and this record could be with somebody else, but now here you are yep. in Megadeth, and it's like it's really nice to see your ascendancy in the spotlight of of drummers, you know, yeah, and just man. and just like it's really it's really good for me because I've known you for a while, so it's like I just like. I always root for my friends and, you know, I was like, even though I don't see you as much as I would like, it's still great that you're able to like, oh, that's like, I know that guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> and like, you're not, a, you're not, you've always been nice. You've never been a, you've never not once been like, I don't want anybody to say anything bad about you. I'm sure there are, oh. but I don't, I haven't met them yet. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I thank appreciate you. it. Man. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. We talked a little bit already about, about night, night stalkers. Yes. Did that one already. Yeah. So uh, Dogs of Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, again, one that they've had the lyrical concept for. The song itself was based on, you know, the first, the beginning of the song was the first part we had, like basically the verse chorus part. I'm not talking about the intro because that's something that was built later. You know, Dave wanted to have this really epic intro. So I think that's something Kiko came up with the acoustic part. And then we fleshed that out with uh, with the um, cymbal and, and guitar hits. Um, but it's cool with that song because it has a, the atypical structure where it kind of evolves from the intro to the verse chorus section, which is this heavy mid-tempo part. And then in the end, like you mentioned, you know, it goes into this crazy double bass part that goes on for quite a while. And and it's fun, those songs with, with atypical structures I like because they tell a story and they take you places. You know, you don't exactly know what's coming next, especially the first times you hear it. You're like, oh, wow, like, look at this, you know. So that, that's cool because... I think that's always been part of Megadeth, you know, and, and so that's one of those songs that that has that you know Holy Wars kind of approach. Yeah, it has also. It's like yeah, the chorus is just beautiful. As oh, like yeah. someone like Dave, just he just sounds. I don't want to say like ethereal, but it just sounds. It just has this nice wave of just like the just the the flow of the words and everything. It just it just sings, and I'm like, damn, that's yeah. That's like, that was un you know like for a song that's kind of. Not it's a un, the unhappy accident of the way the world is now. It's like wow, this song gets a little to me. Oh, it sticks out a little bit more just right. because of you know the world right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Up next is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Not the Canadian yeah. band, but sacrifice. Your song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's another mainly Dave written song, and um, I believe that's kind of his modern day answer to the Conjuring, from what I understand. Which, which. The Conjuring, by the way, was a song that, you know, for those who know or don't know, like he didn't want to play that song live for a long time. And then we started playing it again a few years ago because it's just such a great song. And and he decided, you know what, like whatever the lyrics are, like it's it's still a good song and it deserves to be heard, you know. So this is kind of his modern day answer about, you know, black magic. And it's more from the positive side this time, whereas The Conjuring was kind of a dark, dark energy kind of thing. So sacrifice is a bit more 
more light-hearted, you know, and that's kind of where Dave's head is at these days. So, so I guess that makes more sense, you know. And it's a it's a mid-tempo song, but it has a lot of energy. I think it has a cool drive to it and some very cool accents and parts. And uh, yeah, I like it a lot. So it's the unofficial Conjuring Part Two. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm gonna have to go listen to them back to back and like and like see what, what I get from that. All right. Let's see. Next up is Junkie. Junkie. Yes. Uh, that one used to be called Gran Torino. That was the working title. It had this driving your car through the desert kind of vibe. Which, you know, Dave has done his, his fair share of uh driving songs like 502 stands out. You know, that's a, oh, yeah. a fun song, which I hope we'll play live one day. I love that song, but um, yeah, so it had that kind of just a very driving riff, you know, and that song was all about kind of maintaining that drive and giving it that feeling of like you got your window open and you're just cruising and, you know, something something crazy is about to happen, you know, something's about to go down. So um, so ended up being, you know, the lyrical subject ended up being something different, but it's also one of the early songs that early on in the writing process, we kind of got that together because we just felt really good about those main riffs. And so uh, a lot of work was done that I recall of, of really all the little details in the song. In the beginning, it was more stuff repeated. And that's actually one one maybe interesting thing I can say about the writing process that sometimes you, sometimes you start with something that might seem a bit basic. But then Dave is already thinking in his head about like how he can make these subtle changes in the riffs and in the parts that in the end, it doesn't feel monotonous at all. There's a lot of different things happening and it becomes a, a story, a voyage. So that's really cool. That's one thing I've learned from him, you know, as an arranger and a composer that he really does have his way with with that. And he has a vision and his vision is solid. You know, like if he believes in something, even if you don't really see it right away, usually the man is right. <laughs> <laughs> can't can't argue with that one, man. It's like and especially for you, it's like just in that in that sense, it's like, yeah, you you get to play with Dave Mustaine. You yeah. know, Dave Mustaine. <laughs> and then it's like, you've also played with everybody from Peter Witchers to Devin Townsend and everybody in between you, just you alone have such a knowledge of different guitar players and styles and just different work. Oh, they work this way. I know how to make this, I know how to get the best out of this player. And I know what he likes and this and that. And like, yeah. it must, I guess when you do your own things, it must show you know, you just like stick it all together and it's like, all right, here's my bass ability and here's everything I've got from my friends and teachers slash influences. Yeah, exactly. I've been very fortunate, man. Again, like I, I can't stress that enough, you know, to have had the chance to play with these amazing people. You mentioned a few, you know, there's been many others. I've, I've, I've done some jamming with Frederick Thordendahl from Michigan. Yes, you know. he did his I record. Mean, yeah, Jeff Loomis, you know, I mean... World Dane. I mean, there's been so many people, you know, I did a couple of songs with Danzig, um, Satyricon, At The Gates, Testament, those are bands I've played live with, you know. I mean, it's incredible. Like, when I look at it, I'm like, man, if I was like 16 years old listening to all these bands, like if somebody would have told me you're going to play with these guys and those and you're going to record with them and like, I'd be like, you're insane, you know, like, that's not possible. Like, what are you talking about? Get off the drugs, you know. <laughs> and the fact that I'm here and, 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 and I've done all that stuff and all those people have been every single one of them has been cool to me and, and welcoming and you know they're all friends you know like to to some degree like some i stay in touch with more than others but yeah i've I've been able to learn so much and i think it's all 
culminated in this now. And so to be able to take all that experience and kind of let that inform my journey with Megadeth is, is really a blessing, you know, and I'm, I'm aware of that every single day. That's why I don't really have any bad days, you know, <laughs> like, sure, some days are, you know, it can be a little bit of being on the road and stuff sometimes, but I'm like, man, I, I realized fully everything you said, like, can you believe like you get to do all this stuff? Come on, man. That's a dream, you know? Yeah. What song did you do with Danzig? I did a song on his latest album. Uh, I'm trying to remember the title of it, but yeah, I, I recorded two. And the other one, I don't know what happened with that. I think that's maybe yeah. he's keeping that or not for a oh. different album. But, you know, I, I, yeah, there are a few different drummers on his latest album called, the album was called Black Laden Crown. Oh, yeah, I didn't know you were on that one. One of them I played on. Yeah, it was kind of a last minute, yeah. like, session thing where it's like hey can you come in this afternoon and, and lay down some drums like sure yeah you know we got to hang out with danzig yeah. that was really cool <laughs> that was a good record he he plays drums too on that record it's yeah like, yeah it's, yeah he usually does yeah, right he's like that's yeah, wild he, it's like yeah. that's that's impressive i was like man this guy that's another legendary cat and you yeah, got to sure. you're just sure. like knock you just checking off the bucket list i say i got to play with this guy i got to work with him it's like there's yeah. nobody left for you. Who's left for you to want to play with? <laughs> oh man, I'm sure. I'm sure there's plenty. I love so many bands, you know. But yeah, it's it's just you know, it kind of what happens when you're when you, when you do session work and people start to know you for that and start to know that you come in and uh, if they need you, you know, you can do something that works. I think that's that's a big part of it. it just kind of started happening with me, and now I'm so comfortable in the studio that even if it's kind of a last minute or a stressful situation, I'm confident in my capabilities. You know, it's it's. It can be tough sometimes. It's not always easy to get to the end result. And sometimes it's a bit, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a struggle, but I, I like that. You know, it's exciting. Like I did a record with Tony McAlpine uh, a few years ago, and that really pushed my limits as to what I could play because he's very advanced and there's a lot of, of course it's metal, but there's a lot of like infrage, jazz and fusion and yeah. frog and, you know, and it was just, and he was, you know, he was pushing me. He was like, hey, this is good, but you can do better. You know, like, how's the Subaru? Give me the Mercedes, you know, like jokingly, you know. But it's cool. I love that because it's it's a challenge and it, it, it that's how you get better as a musician. Next up we have is psychopathy. Psychopathy, yes. did I say it right? Yeah, psychopathy, I don't know. Psychopathy. Yeah. Yeah, we'll call that it. Is, that is basically the intro to Killing Time. So when we wrote it, it was all part of one thing. And then because Dave has this spoken word part, it became a separate track, but it's basically an intro, you know, as a tribal drum feel and kind of builds up to the song, which is a song that was mostly written by Kiko, if I remember Killing Time. So that's that's a bunch of riffs and, and a song structure that he kind of came up with and that we, again, as a band, kind of fleshed out together. And some really cool ideas came into place, like in the end of the song, in the last very last riff, that's kind of a long solo section that goes on. Uh, Dave came up with this really cool count thing that happens in there. There's like... Um, -na -na. there's like six accents five four three and and that rotates oh so that kind like of thing yeah. thing that happens and it's kind of subtle but if you if you notice it on the guitar and on the drums you'll be like oh that's and that's like again dave had this this cool vision and we made it happen and that's yeah it's fun. yeah I, I i've only known one other person to do one other group to do something like that was dream theater they had that one song where they had that five things and they do it again down to one and then, yeah. they, bring, then they bring it back up Right. back up to five and i was like wow that's yeah. and i remember he counted it like i remember portnoy counted it out and it was like look yeah i'll just show you how it is here it is on the chart you know right. i was like oh, okay and it like made so much sense when you actually just pointed out and i was like wow that's right that's right. insane yeah it's it's you know i always say it's called playing music for a reason you know you got to be playful with it and bring in like some fun elements so 
when Dave came up with that idea, I was super excited about it. I thought it was super cool. So I guess that this counts for killing time too. We'll just yeah. we'll just merge that one together. <laughs> so yeah. now we have Soldier On. Soldier On, yeah. Um that's a that's a very like a triplet feel song. Uh it kind of reminds me of Lying in State on the previous album. Uh, you know, it has it has this kind of militaristic feel, you know, and and but again, Soldier On actually the lyrics are not about war or anything like that. It's about walking away from a relationship when you know it's better, you know, that you can better serve this person and yourself by not being with them. And as heartbreaking as that is, and as tough as that is, you gotta you gotta get over that and you gotta carry on. You know, I think we've all known people or been through situations like that. Dave certainly has, and so that's what he drew upon. And of course, he plays into the whole military thing with the title and with like the ending chants. You know, oh yeah, like the little marching like. You just exactly. feel like you can see them. You can see you guys marching with backpacks on. Yeah, yeah I got. Yeah, exactly. It's like I don't got a woman, but I got long hair. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> so good, right? Yeah, that's that's another one of those humorous things. A very very Dave, you know, very Megadeth. There's always been this kind of this kind of uh, sarcastic side, or or you know whatever you want to call it, you know, to, to to his lyrics. But I think that's cool. I think it's cool to have different facets, and people can focus on whichever one they want. If you want to hear it as this like go to war song. It certainly has that. And I've read quite a few comments already from people who serve in the military or who are out on duty. That song has helped them, you know, to get motivated and to, to carry on because the, they live a very difficult life, you know, with what they do. And so to be able to, you know, bring something positive to them, even if even if it's through that kind of energy, like you got to carry on and do what you're there to do. That's cool, too. You know, I mean, I think, you know, aside, set aside personal opinions about armed conflicts and stuff like that it's unfortunately a reality of our world and dave has always had a lot of respect for you know the people that help make our country safe you know and as a matter of fact make a quick detour back to night stalkers which is about 160th division you know these these guys that fly helicopters and do like covert missions you know uh, we had we had a guy uh john clement who's a friend of the band and who has was actually a helicopter pilot like that for many years you know and he contributed some to the lyrics and to the to that song and to the imagery behind it so it's it's a recurring theme of course in megadeth but you know it's for a good reason it's not just because for whatever bravado or something it's because they've really and we all do have have a real respect for the people who who, who unfortunately have to go do those difficult jobs you know yeah yeah you know, gotta support your troops. You know, sometimes yeah. good times and bad times. You know, it's like exactly. And I wish we did a better. I just wish that this country did a better job of taking care of them when they get back. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I just there's, I there's was a lot of work to be done there. Yeah, it would be so easy, like in theory, just like, hey, you know what? You're in the military. You're serving overseas. They should have like mandatory like therapy sessions. They should have therapy sessions like. Like anybody, any job, any job where your life is in danger, that like a, a police person or or military is like you need like therapy because like, yeah, at the end of the day, you want to go home, but you don't want, you know, it's like, hey, my buddy's here. Uh, I'd rather go home than my buddy, you know, but it's like you got to that's a lot of emotions that people just turns bad. And, you know, it's like yeah. the way the way I see if I see one more like homeless vet sign walking around New York City, you know, it just and you just go anywhere across the country, you, you just look wait long enough you'll see like a homeless vet sign somewhere yeah exactly yeah, yeah it's, it's terrible man i mean those people have to deal with some of the worst things imaginable you know and unfortunately there's no easy fix to that but certainly i think always more can be done and especially as mental health is becoming finally more recognized and more central as something that needs to be 
addressed, you know, and that needs that there needs to be more infrastructure in place for, you know, I think that's definitely a big part of it is our vets need to be, you know, considered as like they do some of the hardest jobs that you can do and they have to go through some of the most heartbreaking and terrible and life-changing things, you know, if they if they're lucky to actually come back in one piece, you know, which yeah. some of them don't come back, some of them come back, you know, scarred forever or mutilated. And it's like, you know, I know there are things in place for those people, but I, I certainly know that, like you said, there's still a lot of progress that needs to be made, I think, for mental health as a whole, you know, but I, I do think that I do feel like as a country and as a civilization, you know, in general, we're, we're starting to realize that and that there's starting to be more awareness and more acceptance of the fact that there's not just physical illness, there's mental illness, you know, and, and that can take a lot of different shapes and forms. And, you know, some of the things we see, like with the mass shootings, but also just people in private who have a struggle with life, you know, or, and end up maybe yeah. killing themselves or, or just living in misery. And there's a lot to be done there, for sure. Yeah, we we all we we all know people that have that aren't here by their own choices anymore. Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. Big shout out to Dr. Dave. Yes, sir. We'll come back around to celebutant. Yes, yes. So we talked about that a little yes. bit. You know, that's a very uh, I would say new wave of British heavy metal Motorhead influenced track. With with a lot of the typical Megadeth flourishes too, but definitely goes back to the early records, has a kind of palpable energy to it, and a, a, a you know a vivacity or is that how you say it like a, a liveliness you know that I really like, and and uh, it kind of builds throughout the song and just goes to this crazy finale in the end, and I really like that song. You know, I, I have fond memories of how that came together and how we were jamming on it and just kind of excited about it. So that's yeah, it's a cool song, kind of stands apart on the album, I think. Coming up next is Mission to Mars. Mission to Mars. Now, that's a very different song, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Some people hate it. Some people love it. You know, I think it's cool. It's it's a song that, again, Dave had this vision for. You know, it's one of his early lyrical subjects that he wanted to do. And and um, and the riff is a little bit different from, you know, especially the whole beginning part of the song is a little bit different from some of the other Megadeth stuff. But I think that's cool, too, because... An album again, you know, needs to be a bit of a roller coaster. It needs to tell a story. If you want it to stay interesting and you don't want it to become monotonous or like, okay, I've heard this already like five times on the record, skip forward, you know. Um, you have to have some some different things in there. And I think that's a song that definitely stands on its own as that, has a different vibe, has a lot of funny humor in it. Some uh going back to the rust in peace with that quote about, you know, let's go back to earth and let it rust in peace. And then the whole story is. It's very interesting, too, because it's actually about, you know, people going to Mars as an escape and then realizing that, wait, this has happened before. Like, there's already an old base here and people actually escaped to Earth, you know. So it's a really cool, like, crazy story that he came up with, which I thought was really smart. Where I was like, wow, that's brilliant, you know. It's like takes it a step further to like, wait, maybe we came from Mars. And of course, it's, it's a fictional story, but it's really cool to kind of have that kind of thing on the record, you know, and to, for Dave to still have those ideas you know, they just seem endless. You know, I remember he was a little bit daunted with having to write lyrics for all these songs on the new record. But in the end, he came up with so much cool stuff. You know, there's nothing to be worried about. <laughs> I, I feel a lot of people don't pay much attention to sequencing, like record sequencing. It's like it's mm -hmm. like a good record for me. I feel it should have like a wave. It should have that wave. It's like because if it's too much, like you said, if it's like five songs that are just like intense and it's like, all right, you got to. 
you gotta like you gotta have a wave because your, your ears get tired after a while no matter how good the record is your ears are going to get tired if you yeah. give it the same thing for too long so like a nice here's some fast here's some slow here's some weird stuff let's just keep it a wave and it just keeps it more exciting exactly, you know man. a lot of metal bands seem to like not get that <laughs> Right. That's always been kind of a problem. But, you know, I think also as, as you get older, maybe, you know, you have more of an appreciation for the different facets. I remember I went through a time when I was young when if it wasn't fast and intense, I wouldn't have anything to do with it, you know. But that that luckily didn't last for too long. And, you know, I always grew up with different kinds of music as I was saying hip hop, you know, there was also pop music, classical, whatever, all kinds of different things, electronic. So, but um, yeah, it, it's the sequencing is important. And, and in this day and age of streaming you know where people sometimes just listen to separate songs and that's it that can get lost you know i think in metal there's still a real appreciation for an album for a side a and a side b if you like the vinyl so that all that was you know part of why the songs that are on the album are on the album and the ones that are not aren't and you know it all needed to make sense and i think dave really has a good sense of that too and a good appreciation and he's spent a lot of time and care on that part like once the songs were mixed and ready which one is going to go where? How is it going to make sense? You know, and that's cool because it's a, this 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 attention to detail in the end, it makes a difference. You know, you could just be like, yeah, just whatever, you know, the beginning song is this. And then after that, just throw them on there. Like, no, you know, he, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't do it that way. Yeah. And in your guys case with the new record side, A, B, C and D double yeah. vinyl and you double vinyl guys. Double that's vinyl. a beautiful, that's a beautiful, that was, it's a beautiful, that's a beautiful presentation. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, right. my I partner Keith. Cool. Yeah, my partner Keith has the vinyl, and I saw him earlier. I saw him for his birthday like, earlier this month, and it's like, yeah, he got the vinyl in the mail, and it was like, wow, like this is, this is pretty. Yeah, <laughs> good stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'm stoked about it. And finally, we'll be back. We'll be back. Yes, yes. The first single and a statement, right? We'll be back. Like it's like there, there's more coming, you know. Which which we've all already talked about how. Uh, the next album shouldn't take six years you know that wasn't intended to take that long but yeah, yeah again another old school ripper man i think i think that one really embodies kind of you know what megadeth is about again it's like an evolving structure where the second half of the song is different from the first half but it's just thrash you know it's just very very thrash it has that feeling from back in the day but again with a modern twist to it um you know again it's like one of those songs that takes me back to the time when when, you know, like, what would I want to hear as a fan from P-Cells and Killing Is My Business and from those records, what would I want to hear do Megadeth do today? It would be a song like We'll Be Back, you know, Life in Hell, Night Stalkers to some extent. So so I think that's cool. And the fact that that was chosen as the first single and the first video, you know, the first of the trilogy of videos, um, that's really, you know, made me happy. The video, by the way, is also something, or the trilogy is something that we spent a lot of time to that they've really wanted to give the fans something of the level of the band not some lyric videos or whatever you know some stuff that's quickly thrown together he really wanted to make an epic thing the story of the genesis of big rattlehead which is still carrying on because we did so the video for will be back night stalkers on the title track and there's going to be another couple of videos or maybe even three coming next so you know the story is still ongoing but i thought that was really cool because there's a whole new generation of people that are discovering mega that these past you know years and even though the story of Vic Rattlehead was kind of told in the skull beneath the skin on the first album, you know, it's a good time to retell it with the modern production. And 
and and and everything we can do nowadays. And I think the videos, you know, for those who haven't checked them out, you should really take a look. They're really cool. Um, our good friend and partner Rafael Pensado, who's also part of our crew, you know, he he's, he uh, he directed, he helped like make those videos. He stars in them and uh, and helped make him produce them together with Leo Liberty, who's we've done a few more videos for us in the past. And you know, they funded all that stuff from his own pocket because he just didn't want there to be any label interference or anything like that. He really just wanted to give the fans the best thing we could, you know. And I think again, that speaks a lot to. How much he cares, you know, how much he cares about the fans, the band, just in general, you know. And then when you see the record sales numbers, it it, it works because, you know, we're one of the few bands that, you know, we sold a similar amount to Dystopia, for example, in the US, you know. Uh in, in the meantime, the rock market has gone down over 20%. So to sell the same as you did back then, you would be 20% down. But we actually stayed at the same number, which means technically, you know, you could say we went up. But people have really embraced the record, and I think they got really excited when "We'll Be Back" came out, and they realized, well, you know, Megadeth is not slowing down. <laughs> yeah, and and I also do enjoy the fact that the band is, you know, it's like, hey, to me, it's like you're my first band. That's Megadeth is my first metal band, so it's like they're always going to be up here for me, like no matter what happens, they'll always be up here for me. But I do like the fact that Megadeth. So like, yeah, we'll we'll go out on tour with Five Finger Death Punch. You know, we'll be the, you know, like we'll open, you know, it's like some bands are like, no, we should be who you think we are to open. No, you right. open for us. You know, it's like you guys will fit in where you get in and you play some very weird or I would say more European style shows and tours. Cause like here, like America, it's like, oh, metal, metal, metal band. And like you played shows that weren't all metal bands. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you just got to take the opportunities that present themselves. And we really wanted to be on the road when the record came out, you know. And so that tour, we had already toured with them just before the pandemic, as I mentioned. And and we knew it went well and it went over well in Europe. And we figured, why not do it here? You know, sure, like it would be cool to do a headlining tour, but it's also really good to bring new people in and, and maybe their fans who don't know Megadeth or who barely know Megadeth, this is the time where they can be like, wow, you know, this band is cool. And we are getting a lot of those reactions. We're getting a lot of people who are like, man, I didn't know Megadeth. You guys are amazing, you know. And that's important too, winning over new people, getting new people into the, you know, into the fan base or or however you want to call it. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's about that. If you go on tour, you just play for all the people who already know you. I mean, that's cool. Of course, we want them to see us too, but, you know. You're not growing. We're gonna, we're, yeah, we're going to tour a lot, man. You know, we'll be back for those who didn't want to come, like the song says, right? For those who didn't want to come to this tour because we're only playing an hour set or because they're not Five Finger fans or whatever, we're going to do more tours. So we're going to be on the road for quite a while. Uh, like tying that up, Dave is like, yeah, Dave's 61. And like, I just like the fact that a man of his age it's like, oh, people, like, I remember you're like, oh, man, I'm 40. It's like, I'm too old for metal. You know, yeah. this is too hard. And it just shows that, you know, if you basically try to take care of your, if you take care of yourself, you can you can keep pushing it until the wheels fall off. You yeah, know? Yeah, and it's yeah. impressive. It's inspiring to see, like, a, a metal a metal musician, especially a guitar player. You know, normally you see, like, the drummers are, like, sadly, and sometimes the drummers are the first ones to, mm -hmm. to like, step down. Yeah. But, you know, to see like someone, he's still playing just as good as I remember seeing him in 1995. So it's like, oh, like that's the same guy playing guitar now. It's like maybe different guitar, but it's the same. It's the same. It doesn't, there's, there's no sonic loss in my ears. 
Yeah, yeah. No, it's super impressive, man. It's it's what he is, you know, like, let's be honest. Like, he has his family, and that's super important in his life, of course. But Megadeth has been his life since, since the beginning. And, and uh, you know, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think he has any intention to end it before it's time to end it. You know, as long as he can put on a good show and give people what they would expect from, from us, then we're going to be out there doing it, you know. And I hope we can do at least one more album, maybe two more, who knows. Uh, there's a lot of talk about a lot of different things we want to do so that's exciting it's still very much vibrant and alive and, and looking towards the future yeah you deserve you deserve at least two more records at least two more records thank you thank you. you know i was like i, I do wish that uh, i do remember you talking about vic rattlehead and the origin it's like i remember the comic book and like, i remember in the 90s they also made like, a negative comic book like based like tales of was a like, cryptic writing tales or something i forgot what it was uh -huh. called and they just like oh here's songs based on the of the lyrics is right. do you know is there a chance of something like that coming back because like i know comic books are seem to be all the rage now with bands making comic books based on their songs or based on their own stories you know right is, right is there a chance yeah, it's for very more? possible i know they did a bunch for uh, you know they did this box set a couple of years ago that had a lot of comic books based or, or comic stories based off of uh some of the lyrics you know um, I forget what that was called, but it was the Warheads on Foreheads, maybe. Okay. It was called, it was a compilation that came with, you know, the limited edition came with a big comic book. I believe that was the one. If I'm wrong, correct me. But um, but yeah, we're always looking at things like that. We're always looking at different things. You know, we're looking at video games. We're obviously, the videos together are going to form kind of a short movie. So that's something we might do some stuff with. And, and you know, if, if anything else like that comes up, any cool collaborations, we're always looking at that. So we're always brainstorming ideas. That's another thing where Dave has really instilled that spirit in me where it's like, hey, maybe we could work with these guys. You know, like I recently came up with an idea, which I won't talk about yet, but if it materializes, it'll be a cool little thing. So, you know, like you just start realizing that Megadeth is such a ubiquitous brand, like people all across the world, especially in the US, but across the world know it. And so a lot of people are willing to be like, yeah, we could partner up and make something cool for the fans, you know, something special that you wouldn't otherwise find. So that's always that's always in the back of our minds. We're always brainstorming things. So keep an eye out. <laughs> cool, cool, man. I got to say, Dirk, thank you. Oh, I appreciate you for taking this time to chat with me, man. It really it really means a lot. I thank you for, for uh, enjoying part of your day off and just letting me uh, pick your brain about a bunch of stuff. Man, it's been a pleasure, Omar. You're like, such a great guy, and this was such a fun interview, and, and uh, it was truly a pleasure speaking with uh, you. Well, thank you, man. I got like just want to wrap it up with these last two things. Do you and Hannah are still doing your Gimme Metal shows? So uh, it's it's kind of on hold right now because I'm on tour, but it's not gone, you know. So whenever we do have time, which hopefully at the end of the year we'll have time to put together some episodes. We love doing that show, so you can expect more. You know, um, it's called. For those who don't know, it's called Hannah and Dirk's Extreme Blast. Uh, it's on Gimme Metal, which you can listen to for free online. You can download the app or go to the website, sign up. All it takes is your email. You won't get bombarded with crazy spam. So you can just go and listen, you know, and there's a lot of cool shows on there. They yeah. have a show on there, too. We like to, you know, Hannah has a lot of cool musical influences that are different from mine. So we, we present a pretty eclectic show, but still a lot of mostly metal based, you know, so a lot of a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah, and I gotta say, you, the photo you guys chose, I just love that, like retro looking, like neon. It just, it just feels like, I feel like I should be listening. It feels like so synth wavy looking metalness, yeah. and I just love that photo. I was like, that photo is just brilliant. Like, she's such like a, that. she's a genius. 
she is like, she's a, she's she, has, a, she has the best ideas whenever she goes like hey i want to do a photo shoot like let's you know i'm always like sign me up because i know it's going to be some some crazy stuff she comes up with you know she always makes it work too like we've done quite a few now you know i'd be married for it's going to be 16 years this year so i've, I've stood in you know <laughs> quite a few times and she always comes up with amazing stuff you know it's so cool to see how her brain works and how she manages to find like the look and the the, the things that fit and that make it work in the end yeah i've met her a few times and she's just wonderful she's got like a great energy and she does great work and it's like artistic stuff aside she's just a great human being and i'm glad i've had the pleasure of catching her out on tour a couple times and just like getting to just shoot the shoot you know just chat it up with her she's good yeah. she's a good she's a good soul she is man she is and by the way like you know the person to credit for you know inspiring me to become eventually now vegan no that's her so she grew up, you know, just as an aside, she grew up becoming vegetarian at a time when that was not a thing, you know, and basically everybody looked at you and was like, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, so she's been doing that for a really long time. And when I met her and just by talking with her and seeing how she made it work and stuff that inspired me, I was like, you know what, I think I can do that. And it fits with my life philosophy. I should have been doing this a long time ago. I just never, you know, nobody ever inspired me or talked to me about that you know and so she did and she's she's been such a positive influence in my life in so many ways i can't even begin you know we'll, we'll have another two-hour uh chat <laughs> but yeah i love hannah she's the best we'll save that for the 20th your 20th anniversary we'll, we'll make go. a little thing for her <laughs> there you go. exactly uh Absolutely. and i'm super happy for all your success and all your 86 other bands that it's like oh yeah i'm putting out this record over here i'm putting out this you know there's a, there's a ben c record coming out there you know Kill Division is like, you're just, your schedule, like, I'm scared to see what your Google Calendar looks like. It's like, how do you find time to fit every goddamn thing in there? That's Listen, it's easy. Like, basically, Megadeth is the priority. Everybody knows that, um, you know, and if you don't, if you're not okay with that, then find somebody else to work with. A lot of the people that I work with are friends or people that, you know, they want, they want to have me part of their project. In the case of NC, of course, it's my own thing that I do whenever I feel like it, but you know, all those bands are more, you know, they're more projects for me in the sense that like they know how much time I can and cannot dedicate to that. My my life is with Megadeth. That's where I am mostly. Everything else comes after that. You know, my it's like Megadeth, my family, and then the other bands. So in that sense, it's easy. You know, I I um I make that very clear and people figure it out. Like Cadaver has a cool touring drummer, Kill Division is doing a, I think a release show with with a cool drummer that they're having fill in. You know, and that's cool. Like as long as that works for them, and if it doesn't, then I totally understand. You know, it's always completely fine on that on that level. And all those people are friends, and you know, there's there's a lot of downtime, like pandemic. I mean, you know, we were pretty much home all of us for a year and a half, two years, and and I had to pay the bills somehow and do work. So some of that was recording records and you know helping friends out with stuff, doing different recordings. That's what I do. That's what I'm good at. So. You know, I don't think that takes away any of my focus from from the band because luckily with the band with Megadeth, we do have some downtime to to refresh our brain. And for me, it's really good at that time to be drumming, to be working on music in some capacity because it keeps me focused on that and keeps me in shape. So a lot of good things about it. There you go. There you go. Words of wisdom by the schedule master Dirk Rebuerin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, thanks again, man. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you next time you're in New York. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, you gotta we'll finally put some FaceTime. It's yeah, been a minute. Yeah, well, 
We'll have to meet up and get some good food and good coffee or something. Yeah, man. I'm sure we have a ton of vegan places around here. I'm sure I'll find one for you. That sounds great, Omar. Thank you so much, man. Fun interview. I really appreciate it. This has been another episode of the Ghost Quote Magazine podcast. Check us out at ghostquotemag.com and follow our socials at Ghost Quote Mag. Until the next time, peace.